I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. Yo, what's good, everybody? Happy Thursday. That's right, Thursday. We're releasing a day early because, well, to be honest, we just couldn't wait to recap game two. What a win. What a game. Before we get into that, as usual, I'm your boy, Adam Taylor. And as usual, I'm joined by my homie, my compadre, my co-host in crime, Mr. Will Weir. What's good, Will? Coming to me out of Texas. What's good, Taylor gang? 2-0 and feeling good. Feeling real good. Like I, I feel pretty. Oh, so pretty. Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. That game last night, just that that whole second half, man. This team is just so different. That's so. I know we're gonna start in a, in a different area, but just last night, thinking really taking a step back and thinking of the way this team looked in that second half last night, and trying to remember what life was like the first you know 30 40 games of the year especially in that middle part of of that stretch middle to the end of of that stretch of those first 40 games and to see what this team is now and to see who this coach is now it it's almost unbelievable it's no it is unbelievable man. right I mean, i'm at a loss for words sometimes when yeah, i try and think about like, it when you think about the development from so many different guys, like just in their mentality, dude, just like in how physical they are in like, you know, simply by bullying their way to the rim rather trying rather than trying to finesse everything. It's just a completely different brand of coaching. I mean, I, I've always been a big Brad Stevens guy. Like I was still fighting his corner when things weren't going well towards the end of last season, but it's very clear that he was more, of a technical fan like he liked the finesse of the game he liked the, mm-hmm. the pretty like the prettier side of the game and just valuing that completely but you can see that udoka just wants bulldogs he wants you to really plow your way to the rim and make people feel you and in a league that's trended more and more towards finesse this is kind of like that throwback team that kind of comes and just drops the hammer and yeah. shows you that this old school bully brand of basketball can still be successful yeah, I mean, it's one of those, you know, zig when everybody else is zagging, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so everyone's going finesse. So what do you do? You pop them in the mouth. And you even saw last night, to be honest, Brooklyn came out and kind of popped us in the mouth in the first half. Like, they got super physical. I think we woke up and, and overtook that physicality. And there was even a great clip that went around after the game of Al Horford talking where he was like, we knew that was going to happen. And we absorbed the blow and we defended home court. And so it was something that they were obviously aware of. But I think, you know, the physicality in this series has been something that that has really stood out over two games. I mean, to quote Rocky Balboa, basketball isn't, well, to paraphrase Rocky Balboa, (laughs) basketball isn't about how hard you can hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep on moving forward. And the Celtics took some hammer blows, man. I mean, that was last night to a T. We were talking about this before we came on air, man. Like, I went against my better judgment last night and put the game on while I was in bed. Watched the first quarter. It was awful. Rolled over, forced myself to sleep, got woke up by the crowd. But like when you were even watching that first quarter, it felt like Brooklyn were like, hey, if we can't beat you with our style of basketball, then we're going to beat you with your own style of basketball. And you, as much as you can kind of mentally prepare for that, you have to go through it to kind of come, to adjust to it. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. one thing knowing someone's going to get physical with you. It's another thing when they're actually getting physical with you. Yeah, I mean, sticking with the the boxing theme here, the Mike Tyson quote, right? Everybody's got a plan until you get hit in the face. 
you yeah. know, so it, so it sounds good. I know I'm going to get hit in the face. And then once you actually get hit in the face, sometimes it's a different reality than what you had prepared for. And you got to rethink your whole game plan. And I think for the Celtics, it definitely did take them take them a step back, you know, to have to, to regroup themselves. And then as we've seen all year, that third quarter, that third quarter has become the bread and butter of this team. And that was what was formally, and I don't want to say formally because they finished second in net rating in the, in the third quarter, but that was the Golden State Warriors in their, you know, at, whatever run they're still on. I don't know if they're still considered a dynasty, but whatever their their run that they were on, that third quarter was typically along with all the other aspects of, of their team. But but that third quarter was what separated them from a lot of teams in the league for them to be able to create the, you know, the space and the, you know, dynamic offense, defense combo they had. That third quarter is where they really put their stamp on the game to get separation. And this team has has a way of doing something very similar where when they come out of halftime, they're just a different team and they're ready to go for it. Even when they're down, they come out last night, they win the third quarter, 30 to 25, that momentum rolls over into the fourth quarter. And, you know, it's, it's just really interesting to see how this team has progressed over the year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, as you say, that if you go back to last season, third quarters were typically the, the Achilles heel, right? That's where every other team kind of came out, went on a run. I think I went through like a, a three month stretch of tallying, winning and losing for third quarters because it was just such a prominent aspect of where the Celtics were going wrong. And I agree. I mean, you build a lot of separation there. You get That's when you really want to get your offense in rhythm. So once that fourth quarter comes along, you can really kind of ratchet up your level a little bit and kind of see the game through. And I'm going to go back to my happy to, happy feet two analogy of the seals. Like <laughs> Still Benny haven't seen it, but, but let's go with it. I'm going to send you. I want to try and find a YouTube video of just that specific scene, so you don't have to sit <laughs> through the whole film. So on Twitter, well, I've heard it's a great film. So, I mean, I have no problem watching. It. I've heard it's a good film. Yeah, it's. A, I, I like happy feet. But like it was that right? Like you know, you you plodding along slowly, slowly, and then all of a sudden, now we've got to break that wall. We've got to break through. So we need to just keep hitting it and hitting it and hitting it until it breaks down. And for the Celtics, their version of that breaking the ice, that belly flopping the ice, was running those pick and rolls at Andre Drummond, was getting into the paint with Tatum, allowing the defense to collapse, and then making the right read out of it. Doing the same thing with Brown, and it did feel like. At times, I felt, there was times where I was just like, man, this team can't be beat at the rim today. You know, I think Drummond played really well as a rim protector. I think they rotated really well. And it took the Celtics a bit of time to kind of adjust. But like you said, go if you look back to that dynasty type period Warriors, they would make their major adjustments at the beginning of that third quarter. So they'd go, they'd, it was basically you take whatever a team can throw at you in the first half, then you adjust your game plan and come out and then you start making your separation. Yeah, and this is exactly what they did, man. It's a really good uh, analogy. I like that one. Yeah, and, and Ime talked about that in the post game too, right? He he talked about how in the second half, they wanted to, to spread them out a little bit more, specifically their bigs, so that it would give them a little bit more driving lanes to the rim because they were doing such a good job. And so, you know, it's... It, Ime Odoka, I, I can't say enough about where I think he has, you know, gone as a coach from the beginning of the year to where to where he is now. Um, you know, I, I think with his his you know his halftime adjustments, with his you know specifically, we have to talk about his lineups because I think that was one of the biggest you know Achilles heels of him early in the year that was driving me, you and Greg crazy was okay. I get you want to use a certain lineup, but 
it, it's clearly not working. Dennis, uh, Dennis Schroeder and Marcus Smart do not work together or, you know, other variations of why is it, you know, set up in different ways. And to see that, you know, in the biggest moments of this game, he went with a lineup that didn't feature Marcus Smart, didn't feature Al Horford, had Grant Williams and Peyton Pritchard out there. And, it, you know, actually Al Horford was out there, but didn't have Marcus Smart out there and had Grant Williams and Peyton Pritchard. Like Peyton Pritchard was catching DMPs left and right at the beginning of the season. Like we were begging on this podcast to see a little bit more Peyton Pritchard. And last night you saw him score 10 points in the, in the, in the fourth quarter. Like Peyton Pritchard played a massive role in the fourth quarter when it felt like if you go back to the first quarter of the season, he may wouldn't let him even sniff the court. So to see the growth in him to, to number one, have enough faith, enough trust in a guy like Peyton Pritchard who doesn't get consistent minutes but has his moments where he is going to be the right guy on the court for this team. For Ime to trust his gut, to trust Peyton Pritchard, it's it's incredible to watch the the development of him as a coach throughout this year. And, I mean, that step back, can we just take a moment to appreciate oh, that crossover? I watched, I watched it three times this morning. It's it's amazing. It's ridiculous, man. Pritchard is just a straight-up baller. And I think that I like what you're saying. Like, you know, Udoka is more fluid in his willingness to change his rotations, to to kind of bend a little bit more. As you said, he was very, like, stern on, this is my rotation. This is who's going to play. And yeah. if it, we, we likened it to the 2K it. rotations, right? Where they just have, yeah. like, the set time, the set times where people were coming in. And, you know, you see now he's he's very open to to going with the flow. And, and that was another part he talked about where he was like, I decided to go a little bit small because we were going big. They were getting too many. It was too clustered at the rim, so we need to spread it out. Enter in your two 40% three-point shooters, Grant Williams, Peyton Pritchard, and, you know, it really, really opened up some stuff in the second half of this team. They run out a lot of stuff on the side as well. Like, I felt like a lot more of the pick and rolls went away from being above the break and moved more towards the slot, which is helpful too because then you're pulling one side of the defense just a little bit off-center. So, that, I mean, Udoka definitely needs credit for his willingness to adjust and to learn as well. Because it's easy enough to come into the league with your with a very specific idea of how you want to play and not budge. And I think that while Udoka hasn't budged on wanting this body ball kind of bulldog brand of basketball, he's definitely evolved as a game management coach. You know what I mean? I think that game management was one of his weakest areas coming into the season. And now it's one of his um, stronger areas. Being comfortable enough to put Pritchard in, in like, crunch time minutes being comfortable enough to play grant pulling out um from multiple stretches and asking grant to operate in a little bit of a free safety role sometimes then asking him to be a perimeter defender on Kyrie, like that game management deserves credit as well because that has that was one of udoka's biggest weaknesses yeah big shout out to ema man i i can't tell you how much you know watching that game last night i was just blown away by by his performance but yet i mean you go through this roster and there's a lot of guys that deserve some big time praise and last night felt like you know from the coaching staff throughout the roster it, it was the the definition of a team win right like i don't think you could say one guy carried this team i think there's so many different guys that contributed to this win and and i like i mean honestly we could probably go player by player here and just talk about how what what their massive impact was on that game yeah, and there's always going to be people out there that are like, oh, you know, this player didn't play at his best or what was he doing on this specific play? But when you look at it from a bird's eye view, it was the definition of a team win. Like yeah. Everybody played their part. Everybody had to kind of fight through adversity together and individually. I felt there was times where Horford kind of fell a step behind Kyrie 
And then I felt there were times where Horford had the better of Kyrie. And you could say the same about JT and KD, uh, JB and, uh, I mean, real quick, Jason Tatum defending Kevin Durant. My God, man. I, I don't know that I've seen Kevin Durant get a shot blocked off the dribble once, never mind twice in back-to-back games. I don't think I've seen it once, and now Jason Tatum has done it in back-to-back games. And even when KD, it feels like KD has Jason Tatum beat, he just seems to know where to be, when to be there, and just has the timing on Kevin Durant down like few that I've ever seen before, if at all. And if it wasn't for, you know, Kevin Durant's barrage of, I think he shot 20 free throws last night. Yeah. If it wasn't for him shooting 20 free throws last night, that is as close as you're ever going to get to fully locking down Kevin Durant. Well, I've got the matchup data here. Um, okay, so Tatum guarded Durant for 10 minutes and 33 seconds of the game. That was 66.6% of the time that both of those guys shared the floor. Tatum matched up. He held him to 0 of 7 from the field, including 0 of 1 from 3, and forced three turnovers with a block. So obviously, you know, that's just as a matchup. If you rotate over and get the block, you're not really matching up, are you? But as like straight one-to-one defense, Tatum shut him down. Yeah. It was just it's, it's crazy to watch. He's now Jason Gandalf Tatum. <laughs> you shall not pass. Yeah, but we're just going to change it to well, you actually, shall you know not what? Maybe shoot. He should, maybe, maybe he should pass. Yeah, <laughs> you shall not shoot. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, really locked him down. Uh, you had, like, when I say that the discrepancy in time spent guarding Durant, so Tatum was at 10 minutes 33. The closest guy to him is Jalen Brown with two minutes and nine seconds. Udoka is very confident, and the coaching staff, obviously in Tatum's ability to maintain yeah. and contain, sorry, Kevin Durant. Like, they are very comfortable with, we think that you're good enough, if not better, on the defensive end than anyone else we have in guarding this absolute monster of a scorer. And Tatum's like, yeah, cool. Thanks for the yeah, vote of I got confidence. It. No problem. Yeah. yeah, we played together in Team USA. I got him. Don't worry about it. I've, I've yeah, seen his yeah. moves. No oh, problem. Kevin Durant now. He's getting old now. I can lock him down. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I mean, it's it's crazy, right? If they were to do, you know, and obviously we're only two games into the playoffs, but if they were to do an all-defensive team in the, in the playoffs, like the way Jason Tatum's defending – Kevin Durant right now you know we talk a lot about obviously Marcus March just one defensive player of the year Robert Williams is probably going to be on one of those all defensive teams and you know Al Horford got a vote for for um, second place when it came to defensive player of the year so we have a lot of guys that get a ton of praise for defense and I think we you know because there's so many parts of Jason Tatum's game that that deservedly you know, needs to be talked about whether it's the scoring the, the playmaking that's ascended to another level his leadership but man, watching this defense that he is playing on Kevin Durant, it, it's hard to look at that and be like, oh man, how did this guy not not make all defense? How was this guy not the one that was was in the defensive player of the year convo? And, you know, he's probably the third or fourth talked about guy on our defense. And that just shows you, you know, how locked in, how in tune this defense is and how deep the depth is on this defense. And you even talked about Jalen Brown doing well in his, in his, you know, relief duty of Jason Tatum guarding Kevin Durant. And so this team just keeps coming after you one big long body after the other. And it's, it's, it's really starting to get to KD, man. You look at his facial expressions and I know like we're going to talk about the fouls here in a minute, but like they're playing so physical with him. I feel like you never really see the, the, you know, those expressions on KD's face where, where you can tell he's frustrated, 
I feel like I'm, you're seeing that from him in this series, and and that's something that's very atypical for a guy of his stature. I mean, the other thing is as well, like when KD's mom's getting stressed in the stands. I just saw that this morning. I didn't notice that last night during the during the broadcast by side today. But like again, that's the physicality of the game as well. And I will say this, and people can either agree or disagree because it's not really a hot take. But and I want to preface this by saying I'm not taking anything away from Tatum, but. The defense on Durant is 100% team defense. Tatum's doing a fantastic job of being the point of attack guy on Durant, but without the other guy, without the rest of the team kind of encapsulating him and taking away the passing lanes, really rushing up his decision-making, forcing him into being uncomfortable, Tatum, um, sorry, Durant scores more than what he has been. I think that while Tatum has been excellent at forcing KD to slow down. It's been the entire team defense, the way they've handled him as a unit, the way they've kind of not built a wall, but built like a capsule around him. There's literally a guy on every angle that KD could go, you know. So uh, I do think that you have to give a lot of credit to the team as a whole for being able to contain him. Yeah, I mean, it's Kevin Durant. He's a top 10 to 15 guy all time. Like, it's always going to take, you know, a village when you're when you're going up against a guy like that. So, I mean, that's that, that's not surprising. But I think the the part that is surprising is that with, you know, the, the relentless defense that comes at Kevin Durant, even when he was able to get his opportunities, there's a few times where last night watching the game, it's like, oh, that's money. That's easy money. And he still, he was missing some of those shots. And, and you have to, you know, to a certain level, accredit that to the defense getting kind of, you know, a, a little bit of, you know, a, a trickle down effect that you, you're you in his head, even when he gets those open looks. And that's the problem, right? Like, even when you have the open looks, if, you're, if your confidence isn't there, if you feel rushed, if you feel like, I can, okay, so imagine it like, when you're at, you're at the LA Fitness, right, mm-hmm. and and you're in a proper good rhythm, you've had a couple of um, a couple of good games where you've really like you've been hitting I don't know forty five percent from deep or something, and then all of a sudden it's next team up, winner stays on, somebody comes in and they're instantly in your face, and you can't get that shot off anymore. You still feel like you're in rhythm, so you're still hunting that shot, but everything you do is half a step quicker or a step quicker. Yeah. And that half a step or a step is enough to absolutely destroy your rhythm. And I feel like that's what this defense is doing to KD, right? Like you're, you're just literally putting the guy on fast forward and asking for him to somehow stay afloat and it's just not working. Yeah, I mean, seeing KD go, what do you go, 4 of 17 last night? Like, you just don't see that, man. And, you know, back-to-back games where he has rough shooting nights, it's it's impressive. And then when you combine last night with the effort that they put in on Kyrie Irving, where in total, I mean, he goes four of 13, KD goes four of 17, they go eight of 30 combined. Like, that's a hell of a job by your defense. And obviously we saw, you know, how geared the defense, as it rightfully should be, is towards them when Bruce Brown goes on a 9-0 run to start the game by himself. You know, in credit to Bruce Brown, I thought Bruce Brown, you know, played well, but, and, and that was, that was part of that first half story, right? Bruce Brown, Goran Dragic, uh, Seth Curry, they really stepped up and kind of like when all the attention was on the, the main stars of the Nets, those guys were able to step up. But over time, when you're in the playoffs at this high level, there's a reason that stars usually win out. You need to get your stars going. So really last night, the Celtics and the coaching staff played that long game of let's not ever 
give a chance for Kyrie and, and KD to breathe, give them a chance to feel like Kyrie can get back to that rhythm that he had. You know, like you said, if we're using that LA Fitness example, last game, you know, Kyrie was in that zone. Kyrie hit that, you know, that that flow state where it just felt like I don't care what you do. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and, and hit these shots. And so in game two, let's never even let them give them a chance. Bruce Brown wants to to get a hot start. Let Bruce Brown get a hot start. We might give up a shot to Seth Curry. We might let, you know, Goran Dragic may hit a couple shots. But in the end, in the long game, they're not going to be successful if these two aren't successful. And we've talked about this, you know, the entire time previewing the series, each game we preview. Ultimately, that's the the greatest, the greatest opportunity for the Nets and the greatest flaw for the Nets are one and the same. Their two guys have to be great. They can be great, which is scary as hell. But when they're not, it's going to be extremely difficult for this team to win, even if their supporting cast is playing well. Yeah, and we saw that in game two because the supporting cast was playing well, but the other two weren't. So I, I completely agree. I will want to say this, though, and I don't know if you agree, but I think Goran Dragic has been, in my opinion, their tone setter on defense for terms of physicality. He's been the one that's came out playing rough early, and then the Celtics have kind of responded in kind. Now, yeah. as I said to you before we started this episode, and I tweeted it out for anyone that follows me on socials, 105 foul calls over the last two games. You know what I mean? Like, how do you, how, as a fan or as an analyst or whatever cap you want to put on for this yeah. discussion is fine, how does that affect your viewing experience? Because for me, it's frustrating as hell when it's like, I think the third quarter especially, or was it, it might have been the second, it felt like every other possession, it was a foul, sideline out, foul, free throw. And it's just like, man, neither to it. I think it's working in the Celtics' favor because Boston struck me as a team that can play out of rhythm a lot better than what the Nets mm-hmm. can. So, you know, I'm not complaining about if, if there is any form of advantage to be had and Boston are the ones reaping that advantage, great, not moaning. But at the same time, from a viewing experience, that can be incredibly frustrating. Man. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it from who does it favor, it's clearly the Celtics because we talked about what, what do the Nets want to do? They want to – their best opportunity is going to be getting Kyrie and KD out in transition and getting, you know, mismatches or cross matches or, or having the defense not set. When that defense is set, we've talked about how connected they are in that, you know, that village that they play defense against both of these guys. So that's their opportunity. So clearly I think the, you know, the dead ball basketball, which is going to be coming out of, you know, the out-of-bounds plays or coming off free throws, that's ultimately – going to favor favor the celtics as far as a viewing perspective i mean I, i'm going to use a rajah bell was talking about this on um uh, on real ones the other day it's just the consistency of it is what is, is what's a little bit frustrating uh, i mean the flow of course i i like when the because i like it being a little bit physical right like i like i like the way that the Celtics. i like the celtics even though you know i think right now i'm looking at it like you know over the over the two games tatum's had averaging four fouls tice is averaging four and a half horford's averaging four and a half so like all the bigs are getting in relative you know foul trouble throughout the game and and they're they're having to play through it i believe i think horford fouled out last night or, or maybe it was game one but i know at least one of the games he's fouled out and you know i like the physicality i think for me i would prefer it to be to, to let the physicality happen let a few of the smaller things go but i think the frustrating part is it's not consistent it's not consistent from whether they're calling you know what they're calling especially off ball and i think you saw that a lot in the third quarter which is what i think you referenced where there was a stretch where i think the celtics could have really you know they cut into the lead got it from 10 to 5 but I think they really could have closed that gap even more if it weren't for the fact that KD went to the line about six different times in the last three, four minutes 
on these off ball uh, foul calls that sometimes they're made down the other end for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Sometimes they're not. And even with Kevin Durant, like it's not just isolated to, Oh, they're favoring one team or the other. I'm not going, you know, full Tommy Heinsohn here, but you know, it, it, even with, when you're playing physical with KD, sometimes they let stuff go. Sometimes they don't. And there doesn't necessarily seem to be a proper flow or, or a proper continuity that goes along with it. And so for me, that's the frustrating part is if you're going to call it ticky tack, like, establish that and so people can adjust and we can get a better flow to the game or if you're going to let stuff go let it go like like actually let it go and don't just pick and choose the moments of when this can be let go and when this can't be let go that's that's really what i would ask for i think that i don't know if you agree here and i think the most egregious non-foul foul call in game two was the andre drummond shove on toast on that dho with marcus smart the one where uh, ended like Tice ended up elbowing Marcus in the face. Yeah, they, it which, just uh, went boom and like pushed him in. So smart on the DHO did both of them sprawled out on the floor and it was a sideline out of bounds for Brooklyn. I'm like, dude, what, that that, like, that was quite clearly a foul. And if you're not sure, then you go back because on a few plays earlier they'd called somebody basically for going belly up top top locking a cut, mm-hmm. and it was like foul because you went belly up. There was contact. You you yeah. impeded his cut. And that's a foul, but then pushing someone into someone isn't it? like I was just like I'm the same as you. I just want some continuity. Yeah. Like, I don't mind that there's the foul calls, like you know, I, I, I'm the same as you. I, I really like the fact that Boston are playing this bulldog brand of ball, and I think it's going to be what sees them through this series and makes them a tough out in any series they play. But there is a world where it can also go against you and. You know, sending KD to the line 20 times when he's cold is one thing. If he's hot and you're still getting those same foul calls and now KD's got 30 from the field and 23 throws. That's a 50-burger. I'm worried at that point. Do you know what I mean? So understanding the consistency, the continuity, that to me is going to be what makes the Celtics able to adjust in a way that they can still play their brand of basketball but not risk sending a superstar to the line and they always have to worry of if the guy's cold and then he keeps hitting consistently from the free throw line he's going to go on a heater you see it with Tatum all the time doesn't score for ages gets an easy couple of buckets and then boom the dude's unstoppable for the rest of the, the game yeah so you have to worry from that aspect as well yeah I totally agree and I mean you know that's even last night with Jason Tatum you know you talk about how it can get a guy going he was oh of six from the field gets a layup right before halftime and then hits a step back three to to put those two together. And, you know, if there wasn't that halftime break, it felt like, all right, this is the time where Jason Tatum takes off and goes on that run. And so with a guy like Kevin Durant, who now him and Jason Tatum, Jason Tatum has moved into his peer. They're a peer in that same, you know, in that same tier, same hierarchy of NBA superstar. And, you know, you're always got to worry about that. But for, you know, the defense was was good last night in that in the sense that KD never got off and never got going to match those free throws. But to say that he wouldn't do that next time, you know, there's no, there's absolutely no guarantee because he got a couple of good looks that he didn't convert last night. And so if he knocks those down, it could be a whole different ballgame. We're going to go over to an ad read now. So we're going to let, you're going to hear from our sponsors. When we come back, I've got a question that kind of pivots away from this game, but I find it really, I find the talking point really interesting. So we'll be back in a moment.
So I know you, you like me, are a big fan of Zach Lowe. Yes. Did you hear a Zach Lowe comparing Tatum to like a prime healthy Kawhi Leonard? I did. I did. I mean, just to hear, uh, you know, Zach Lowe's full take about, and that's kind of what I was referencing uh, earlier in our conversation about oh, well, him now too. being peers with Jason Tatum. So we're on the same level here. Um, you know, just hearing him talk about where Jason Tatum has ascended to in the hierarchy of NBA superstars was was really cool and, and you know kind of putting him I, I think and correct me if I'm wrong here Adam I think he kind of had him somewhere in that you know five to eight range where it's like him Luca Steph Curry and and Kawhi Leonard is kind of the area that that Jason Tatum is currently living in and, and only going higher yeah that's pretty much where they're at and like but being a second tier star at this age battling one of the top 15 guys of all time and winning if you do that again in the next series you know, yeah. if you ha- if you end up going head to head with Giannis and you win, like not as not just as a team, but in your individual kind of battles that are inevitably going to happen, we have to start talking about moving you up into that top tier echelon of players. Now, is it going to happen this year? Who knows? Is it going to happen next year? I honestly think so. I think that at, the po- at this point, the trajectory that Tatum's on and the developments we've seen from him from last season to this season his rookie season to now, like the constant progression, the fact that, you know, 18 months ago, he couldn't, we couldn't rely on him as a playmaker. If you sent doubles at him, it was curtains. Now you send doubles at him and he's laughing in your face as he hits a cross court swing pass and someone's draining the free. And he's just like, dude, man, you should have, I don't know what you're trying to do here, but unless, you you send it, unless you're sending five at me, bro, I don't know what you're expecting to happen. I mean, come on, man. We've seen Brooklyn send Claxton. We've seen him send Drummond. We've seen him send KD. Length, size, doubles with length and size, and nothing he's putting the gun smaller with Bruce Brown too. Yeah, they're 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 trying everything they have in their arsenal, and nothing's working because his passing game has reached a level now where it's just opening up release valves for him with other guys, and he's making everybody around him better. That to me tells me he's ready to take that final jump. And it's funny, last night Jason Tatum scores nineteen points. Probably not one of the times that you would say like, oh, this is like one of his better games, but I feel. You know, you add in 10 assists. He's got 18 assists over these first two games. And last night, Jason Tatum did at the end of that game what a stu- what a superstar should do at the end of the game, right? You feel the game in your clutches. You know you're right on that precipice of locking this game down, taking your foot and stepping on the proverbial throat, ending it right there. And he has that big 5-0 run. He gets in the lane, ends up, you know, ends up hitting that little floater shot, running across the lane. Has I think it was Dragic on his hip, gave him a little, uh, little, you know, a little sidestep, jumps back, hits that three. That game was over at that point. And that's that's one of the biggest things that a superstar does for you is in that moment when you have the opportunity to to quash to squash any type of comeback that might be coming. And you step up and just like give me the ball, especially when he wasn't shooting the ball well that night. He was he was playing great defense. He was distributing the ball. He had ten assists, but you know scoring was not his his go to asset last night. And typically, what we've seen with Jason Tatum up until this point, if scoring's not his number one thing that he's doing, not that he can't do the other stuff well, but it's typically not a great Jason Tatum game. And last night, I felt it was a pretty pretty damn good Jason Tatum game for him only having 19 points and going, I think five of 16 from the field. I thought last night was an emphatic, you know, an emphatic bonus to his case as becoming a full-time superstar. Yeah, for sure. Because like you say, the nights where you're cold and things aren't going your way and you still step up and put the dagger in, 
and you still manage to impact the game on multiple different levels from different areas, you know, facilitating, playmaking, screening, just being an all-around winning presence on the floor, you have to start being spoke about in that top tier because so many, so little like amount of players, it's such a small player pool that can do that, that can be like, hey, I, I just don't have it tonight. Scoring's not working for me. They're taking away all my driving lanes. They're collapsing on me. Uh, you know, there's two hands in my face every time I try and shoot. The ball's not dropping. But guess what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you with my passing. I'm going to help you with my defense. I'm going to be a more willing screener. Doing all of these things as well as still probing the defense, still forcing rotation, still being a guy that makes everybody else react to his movements. There's probably, what, seven, eight, maybe 12, you know, somewhere in that seven to 12 man range of guys that can do all of those things and mm -hmm. be able to switch between them depending on how the night's going for them so tatum showing this now one he's done it for two games now if he can do this consistently until the celtics either win a championship or a team manages to bounce them and he can do that and contribute to high level winning the, the conversation around him has to shift to not when will he become a superstar but to he's became a superstar 100 this is this is the jason tatum tour and here's the thing like I, I always take a little bit of umbrage with the way that the the word superstar is is thrown around. I think it's thrown around a little too easily just in in general discourse around the NBA. Like if you really think about it, there there's probably seven, eight guys that are technically that really should be superstars. There's other guys that can be superstars on particular nights. I think of, you know, Anthony Davis, Paul George. I don't actually think they're superstars. I think they can be superstars on given nights. And that's kind of where I thought Jason Tatum up until this point has really fallen and, and you know and he's he's obviously you know he's 24 years old 23 years old like he's on his way up that's kind of where paul george and anthony davis i think for me in their careers fall as guys that can be superstars on given nights they're not consistently which by the way that's still a really good place to live for a player so that's not necessarily bashing them just in case anyone thinks i'm bashing these guys like that's a really good place to live in your career that you can be a superstar certain nights and maybe you're just a star and all-star other nights but the guys that are superstars every single night, that's a very, very small club. And right now, the way Jason Tatum is playing in this playoffs, he's punching his ticket. He's stamping his VIP card to say, I'm no longer just getting a, you know, a day pass or a guest pass into this club. I'm a full-time member. And, you know, we'll see the way the rest of this, this playoffs plays out. But the way that it started, and if it continues for this series – as you mentioned, it looks, you know, even though Milwaukee did drop game two to Chicago, which is interesting side note, you know, if it does continue the way that we expect it to and say the Celtics are able to get by the Nets and maybe they meet up with the Milwaukee Bucks, if he's able to get through that round, now you're talking, how is he not in that club? You know what I mean? Like that's, that's the dialogue. And so it's, it, you know, it's, it, this is just absolutely a Jason Tatum tour de force him, you know, I don't even want to say the coming out party, but it's him officially putting him his name from rising star to confirmed superstar if things continue to play out this way the rest of the playoffs. Yeah, you just think of like that Acme stamp for the Looney Tunes. Just boom. exactly. Another guy. I mean, how do you feel about how Brown's been playing this this series? Like, because I think he's been really good defensively. I think he's been a bit hit and miss offensively, but his willingness to probe the defense, willingness to drive. Uh, I still think he's been incredibly valuable, but I do feel like there's more to come. Yeah, I mean, I think last night, you know, I, I would say before, if you had asked me this question before the start of the fourth quarter last night, I probably would have been like, I, I probably need a little bit more from Jalen Brown 
But you know what he did in the beginning of that fourth quarter? He gave me a whole heck of a lot more. You know, he <laughs> he, came, he came out and went on basically a 10-0 run by himself, yeah. you know, and, and, and that's the thing. So, you know, with all the attention on Jason Tatum, not to say that Jalen Brown doesn't get attention, but you saw this a lot last year. And this is a guy that I think I, I, I compare Jalen Brown a lot to, as you saw last year when Giannis was, was getting so much attention, Chris Middleton really needed to step, step up at certain times and be like, all right, I'm going to get 30. I'm going to get 40. I'm going to take some pressure off of, off of our, our superstar here. And Jalen Brown needs, needs to play that role. And last night when he was able to take that game over in the beginning of that fourth quarter, really get the game right to the point where, you know, it was tied. Then Peyton Pritchard hits that step back and the Celtics never look back. Like that's what you need or you're going to need from Jace, from Jalen Brown throughout this playoff run are those moments where he gets into those hot streaks. And there's not many guys in the league that can get hot like Jalen Brown. You know, Greg always talks about this. If there was some type of NBA metric for, you know, NBA jam, he's heating up, he's on fire. Like Jalen Brown would be tor- towards the top of that. Cause when he gets going and his like little fuego streak where he can go quickly, like he did last night on 10 0 runs, he does that better than a lot of guys in this league. And that's such a benefit to have him in your back pocket as your number two. But last night he did a great job, in my opinion, of, of, of number one, he's been playing great defense all series. Yeah. And I think he's, you know, he's been a little loose with the handle, but that's been kind of an on, on and off again thing with him throughout the year, really throughout his career, you know, where sometimes his handle is real tight. Sometimes it's a little bit looser with the, with, with the ball. But I think last night before that fourth quarter, I would have had one answer after that fourth quarter, you know, we're going to need to see more of it, but that's what we need for him to be that that supporting role number two, where he can ascend in moments and, and really be the number one carrying you in, in small stretches. Like you said, Adi, we need you to be a superstar in stretches. We don't need yeah. you to be the full-time star. Exactly. That's We don't need that, but we need you to step into that. And I think that, you know, throughout the last two games, there's been moments where I've been like, man, without what would we do without Jalen Brown in that possession? You know, what would we do without Jalen Brown rotating over, without him being the guy sprinting the floor because of his speed, because of the threat of his athleticism? But then there's other moments where I'm like, man, why did we give Jalen Brown the board in that possession? Because he loses it, right? But you, when you look at the overall impact and the overall performances, like he's having a good game. He's having a good playoff so far. I mean, we're two games in. We can't say he's having a good playoff. So yeah. he's having a good start <laughs> to the series. You know what yeah. I mean? I mean, the only other guy I really want to touch on because I think it would be a travesty if we didn't is Grant Williams. I mean, this dude went for a hundred, hundred, hundred night. The, the he had an imma- immaculate night. Automatic, bro. Like, I'm a big Grant Williams guy anyway. But when you really needed that bench production, when you needed to be able to trust somebody coming off the bench, you know, at times Derek White was looked like he could be that guy as a facilitator. But, he, you know, I think Brooklyn did a really good job of kind of limiting his impact. Grant Williams comes on the floor like, don't worry, I got this. I mean, I watched Blue Streak last night. Have you ever watched Blue Streak? Uh, with Martin Lawrence? Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. So you know when, um, you know the bit of Dave Chappelle? Yeah. You know when they're in the alley and it's Dave, yeah. Dave Chappelle's got the gun and he's like, I got this. And he walked <laughs> like That felt like in my head because I'd gone from Blue Streak to the game. And there was a, like, you know, Grant Williams weren't playing great in the beginning, but I think I remember waking up when the crowd went off and as I'm turning the TV off, everyone's talking about Grant. And in my head, I chuckled to myself because I could just imagine Grant coming off the bench. Like, don't worry, I got this. In, yeah. like, the blue street motion. Um, he's his just con- his really confidence good. is on that level, by the way. So, I, like, I, could, I, I wouldn't put it past Grant to go ahead and actually have that oh, level yeah. of confidence coming into the game. 
Grant Williams is the type of guy to tell you in a joking way, but I could imagine he'd be turning around. Like if he was on this podcast right now, and I'd be very happy if he was, he'd be the type of guy to turn around and be like, dude, I'm getting overlooked for MVP this year. You know what I mean? Right. And, and he, he'd do it with a smile where he's like, I'm joking, but you know, in the back of his mind, he's like, nah, man, did you, did you see my defense on Nikola Jokic? I'm the Batman. Two years running, dude. <laughs> Two years running. Did you not realize last year when Jokic was the MVP, I defended that dude off the floor. They had to pull him from the game. And <laughs> I could just imagine this conversation in my head. I'd be, I'd be crying. Yeah. Uh, jokes aside, I think he was exceptional. Defensively, I think he was solid. Offensively, I think he was solid. Uh, we're seeing him hit freeze off movement as well now, which is new. Um, there was one, I think it was his first three of the game. He kind of cold ran, caught the ball in motion, squared up, fired away straight away, and it went went in. And that movement shooting to me is uh, if he can get good at that and he can become a reliable, you know, even if it's 40, plus 40% 40 on catch and shoots, plus 37% on movement, like that's, that's going to be really, really important to just being able to have a fluid offense that you can have somebody reliable like that curling over. Yeah, I mean his three point. I mean him him getting his shot back last night is is crucial to this team. You know the the fact that he turned himself into one of the one of the best marksmen in the league this year is is crucial for the success of this team. So him being able to go three of three from from three point last night, you know he's not always going to be perfect from three point line like that. But you know him consistently being two of four, you know. Two, you know, three out of five, whatever it's going to be like, that's going to open up so much more for this team in the long run. And honestly, as impressive as, as his offensive contribution was his physicality on defense, his ability, I think you posted today, um, him helping off a, a dribble handoff that they did with Kyrie and Kyrie still made the bucket. And there's a couple examples, I think in my head of where Kyrie made buckets, but Grant Williams' defense was was amazing in, in both of those scenarios. He had a couple where he was, you know, go straight up, law of verticality, straight up into him. And somehow, you know, Kyrie being who he is, you know, he made the bucket. But Grant Williams' consistent level of defense in this series, much like we talked about Jason Tatum's, Grant Williams has been on a different level than than the defense that that we've seen from him in his career to this point. He is extremely locked in, had two blocks last night to go along with his immaculate night. And, you know, he really was the guy, and really that whole front line for the Celtics last night, I think played really well between him, Al Horford, and Daniel Tice. They kind of kept the boat steady in that first half where the Celtics didn't let the game get too far away from them and had a chance to, to make that comeback last night. But Grant Williams was leading the way with that. And without him, I don't know that the Celtics would have had enough stability to be able to, to make that comeback when they did. Yeah, I mean, look, man, you've, you've pretty much said everything I was gonna, like we could say. I will touch on a little bit more with that DHO um, defense, though. I'm not going to go all technical and start shouting out like coverages and stuff. All I'm going to say is Grant Williams being able to switch on to Kyrie Irving Let's just put that into context first. Grant Williams being able to shift onto one of the shiftiest, quickest, best shoot scoring off the dribble guards in the league and containing him like very well, you know, limiting his ability to get beat off the dribble, limiting Kyrie's ability to create space on step backs or to create any form of space on a crossover and forcing him to take difficult shots like, that's not easy to do, man. People try and do that all year round, and most of them get cooked. Grant's done it consistently now for two games and been one of the better defenders on Kyrie throughout the series. So 
just that in itself, you know, Grant started that possession defending Claxton. They've run that DHO. He switches on to Kyrie. The DHO they ran was a specific type of DHO designed to create an opening when you curl off the DHO towards the hoop. It's called a grenade DHO. Grant switched so quickly, like his, his lateral quickness was so good that there was no space for Kyrie to explode into to get downhill because Grant killed it instantly, forced Kyrie back out towards the sideline, and then made him work. Like, you you factor in that defensive ability along with his improvements on offense, and, dude, man, you got to give that guy an extension this offseason. Like, you have yeah. to. Yeah, I don't know what the number's going to be, but it, maybe it's going up because I think we've talked about what his number or what number we feel comfortable with, but let's see how this how this playoff run plays out. Cause that number might go up a little bit. Cause he's also defending Kevin Durant. You know, we talk about, you know, Tatum's defense on him. Like, and I think that's part of what, you know, makes is making life tough for, for Kevin Durant. So no matter where he turns, there's whether it's Jason Tatum consistently, or it's Al Horford or it's Jalen Brown or it's Grant Williams or it's Marcus smart. There is somebody up there that, that can at least give him some form of trouble. And, you know, multiple times the series, we've seen Kevin Durant square up with Grant Williams and Grant Williams has either got a deflection, he's caused Kevin Durant to to lose his dribble, and he's certainly contested any shots that he's had. Uh, just Grant, I can't say enough about about Grant Williams. I mean, it's think about this, Adam, for the amount of slander that this man caught all over Celtics Twitter last year. Straight think track. about the way that we are talking, waxing about him poetically right now, and his contributions to this team. What a turnaround! Like, I, I don't think I could have imagined this with, with the way that he was discussed among Celtics Twitter last year. Yeah, I mean, Grant wants to be called Batman, but I might call, start calling him Chameleon out of Mortal Kombat. Because <laughs> the dude just changed forms, man. You could yeah. call him Cell. You could call him Freezer. Because the dude's, like, closer to a final form now than what we originally saw. He's, like, genuinely, like, gone through a metamorphosis. I'm just using words that, that go into comic books at this point. Uh, I think that's very fitting, actually, for the player we're talking about. I mean, I think but, it is too. But I genuinely believe that, like, you know, that weight loss that he went, he he kind of put himself on a regime to do has really transformed his just everything about his defensive game. And then that's built the confidence because the minutes are coming, because the way you want minutes under Redoka is apparently from being legit on defense. Once those minutes come and that rhythm comes, the offense is going to come with it. And obviously... You can't deny the fact that he's been in the, he's been in the uh, the gym firing up hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of threes. Like I said at the beginning of this discussion about Grant, he showed us movement shooting on three. Yeah. You know that means that you know how much confidence you have to have to go from missing your first gazillion threes in the league from to, getting called Ben Simmons. <laughs> to, <laughs> and now all of a sudden you're curling off pin downs to shoot a, a free in motion off the catch like that's such a development man and in such a short space of time as well so like yeah i mean i was on that same like you know i was firing shrapnel at grant williams last year at certain points i was frustrated just like everybody else but i'm also one of i'd like to believe one of the loudest voices in praising him too because it's only fair if you're one of the voices that um I wouldn't say insult, that criticize, then you should be one of the voices that praise as well. 100%. And yeah, I mean, I don't have anything else to add to that. I think that's, no. I think that's perfect. 
So if you've enjoyed the show, which of course you did because we enjoyed recording it. Okay, I'm joking. But if you did enjoy the show, please make sure to share it on social media, tweet at us, DM us, do all that good stuff. If you've got made it this far, then obviously you like our voices, you like what we have to say, and we like hearing from you. We're start. I'm starting. I don't know if you're starting to see. Um, I'm not sure if you're starting to see any of the um comments i don't know if people are reaching out to you but i've had a few people over the last few episodes reach out to me via dm yeah. or tag me in comments and stuff I, I honestly it makes me feel good i'm like man people are interacting you know we oh it see feels great and i get those little yeah. notifications and i'm like oh wait who's who's talking about us and shout out i can't remember I, I don't have the name in front of me right now but uh was talking about uh you know really enjoyed our discussion about marcus smart and the the narrative around him for defensive player of the year so that was really cool to see yeah, for, for sure, man. I think for me, it's more like we see the download numbers. We see how many people are listening, but there's just some extra about having people interact that kind of we're like, yeah, man, this is like, we're, we're on the right track. Um, before we go, well, I know that me and you kind of discussed we're going to be doing something on the weekend. Uh, I thought I'd give you this opportunity to kind of open the floor up and explain what we're going to be doing and where people can join in if they want to join in. Yeah, absolutely. So last night, myself and our other co-host, Greg, we hosted a virtual watch party uh, through, a, through a place called Playback. So we're going to share this link. If you're following myself, if you're following Adam, you're following Greg, you're going to see it posted a couple different times between now and Saturday for game three. We're going to host a virtual watch party that is going to be led by your boys here at the Three Man Weave, myself, Adam, Greg, like I said, we did a little test run last night. We had a really fun time watching this game together. When you think of this, uh, when you think of playback, the best way to kind of think of it is think of Twitch mixed with Twitter spaces with a way better stream. And you get the three-man weave. We're going to be hosting it. We're going to be up on stage talking to you throughout the game. You can kind of manage whether you want to listen to the TNT or ESPN broadcast. Do you want to listen to me, Greg, and Adam and our thoughts on the game? You can kind of go back and forth. There's a chat room in which everybody's kind of sharing ideas, asking questions. We're having a good time. We're kicking some jokes around. It's Saturday night. Grab a drink. Come join us. We're going to make sure we share the links that everybody can go sign up. Uh, you do need to watch it on a computer as opposed to a mobile device. It is not going to be available on mobile quite yet, but grab your computer, grab a drink, grab some friends, come hang out, share the link. We're going to have a really fun time watching Game 3 Celtics Nets Saturday night. Look out for that link coming soon, and we hope that you guys join us. And most importantly, and I, well, not most importantly, but just as important, I'm staying up. So this game right. doesn't tip. This game tips off, I'd say around about twelve forty a.m., twelve forty-five a.m. That's when tip-off is. So this game's not going to finish, assuming that we're going to see another 50, 60 fouls, until around about three thirty a.m. It's going to ruin my Sunday. You know Adam, I mean? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna Venmo you some, some money for a coffee. For an extra coffee dude, that day. I'm telling you, dude. Man, I'll have my donkeys. But <laughs> like the thing is, if I'm staying up to do this and I, I just want to, I want a full room because, you know, I'm going to be quite, I'm going to be super transparent. There's a chance you want to get me there for, for for the first half and then I'm going to bed. But you're going to have Will. You're going to have Greg. I'm staying up until at least half time. So come through, come check us out. As usual, I've been really grateful for everybody tuning in, everybody leaving reviews, everybody just showing love to us doing what we're doing over here at the Celtics Blood Podcast, whether that's us, whether that's the Celtics Pride guys. Uh, just super humbled by everything and seeing the growth of the show. And we'll be back again on Monday. No Friday podcast because you got this one instead, but we will be here on Monday to talk about all of the happenings and moving and shaking from the weekend. We look forward to... to well it's not speaking to you to speaking at you on monday <laughs> peace out
Peace. Ain't disrespecting you haters, I ain't sweating your opinion Y'all been testing my patience, never did it for a check I've been impressed with the famous, just rather be creative Than stressing my wages, ageless Every time I lay a verse down One play at a time, keep it moving like a first down And at the end of the day, I can say that I made this MJ never made it to the major, still he chased greatness Expected that he might fail, and I might too I might never get to pop champagne Celebrating with the crew, this ain't everything I am It's something that I do